Well, I hope you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving. This week we have a special treat for you guys. Will Mejia, a.k.a. Will XX, is on the podcast, and he talks to us about some really cool new ideas, really different ways to look at things, how to open your mind. Very excited for you guys to hear it. Before we jump into that, though, let's talk about our sponsor, Denny's Pizza. Denny's Pizza. Heard me last week talking about how Denny's is charitable organization. Um, they give back to the community, right? They are a for-profit company, obviously, but they take a lot of their profit and then turn that into really good, wonderful, helpful things for people. That's why we've partnered up with them so closely. At the end of the year, every year around Thanksgiving, Christmas time, the Brighton a Day Foundation holds Brighton a Christmas. Tenny's Pizza is one of the main contributors to that this year, we want as many people as possible to jump on the Brighton Christmas bandwagon. You may have seen some posts from the Finding Strength Facebook to go on to brightonaday.org and donate. Uh, we want as much participation this year as possible. We are trying to get um, as much as you know, $10,000, $15,000 so that these families who've lost children can have some sort of light brought into their life around the Christmas season. Tenny's Pizza is a big, big, big part of that, and we are super grateful to them. So please support Tenny's Pizza as much as you can. Don't forget, use the code podcast in the Tenny's Pizza app, and you will get a specialty pizza for the price of a regular one. Pretty sweet deal. Gotta love Tenny's Pizza. Be sure to check it out. This week on the podcast, like I said before, Will XX, tattoo artist extraordinaire. If you guys aren't following this guy on Instagram, just look up Will Space, capital X, capital X. Dude, his freaking tattoos are incredible. He is an amazing artist with an even more amazing story. I'm excited for you guys to hear it. We get into some pretty deep stuff this episode that I think you're all going to really enjoy. The best part about it, I think, is that you get to understand how judgment significantly affects the way we view ourselves, not just the world around us. So that's kind of a little little tidbit there for you, a little teaser. So enjoy. Will XX. Friends, we are recording episode. What is this? I have no idea. <laughs> Some track. episode. We're just like, <laughs> after episode ten, I was like, uh, it's getting to the point now where we're just like cranking them out one after another. For now. For now. And the cool thing too is that we get to like meet amazing people because I don't. Today we have Will XX, aka <laughs> Will Mejia, with us. <laughs> Who is tattoo artist extraordinaire? Thank I don't know, you. How else would you describe yourself? I'm just an artist. That's what I describe artist, myself as. Man. You we say you say just an so artist, cool. but to someone who's not an artist, mm-hmm. it's pretty awesome. You guys, like the stuff seriously. you guys come up with, I'm like I, that. That stuff has never come to my head ever. Yeah, very, you better like, start following Will XX on Instagram and checking out the amazing artwork this guy does on people's bodies. Like it, it 
blows my mind. I don't know how you do what you do, man. And if a you want to see it in person, practice. just go look at my husband. <laughs> yeah, right. It's a lot of practice He's and half obsession. Obsession, oh, practice. Yeah. I'm, I'm really difficult on myself, and I just want to keep growing. I feel like I could do better with every piece. I want to do better, better, better. So it's that, that's where it gets you. Growth. Oh, that doesn't sound Growth. like anyone else I've ever heard of. That's so, <laughs> so hard on themselves. Super familiar. <laughs> it's funny. It's the the clients definitely benefit because you get better work, but you're never going to be satisfied because you're always wanting to get, improve. You're a perfectionist, so that sort of perfection doesn't exist. Perception, per, per, perfection is perspective. But are you, is that what you're trying to get to, and that's why you're never happy with it? I'm trying to get to progression. Okay. I feel that if one day I acknowledge that I've plateaued, that's terrible. Oh, I, totally I don't ever want to go, this is the best I'm ever going to do. That's a terrible thought. I That's actually terrible totally to agree with you. So It's like, well, guess I'm done. That yeah, was fun. So tomorrow's always going to be better until I guess there's no more tomorrow. I so, love that. Dude. Wow. So Already we, this deep? <laughs> this know, every episode. Right? Damn, we'll drop the knowledge bombs early. <laughs> That's freaking legit. I'm trying to remember. So we met you. <clears throat> it's been two and a half years ago, I want to say. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And I... I mean, Kevin knows everything about you, I feel like. <laughs> we have really good talks. Because Kevin's well, the best. Kevin is a question asker. That too. He's so very he inquisitive. Will, yes. And so, and he'll, I mean, how many sessions, eight hour sessions? He'll be like, I'm going up to get few. a tattoo from Will. And I'm like, uh, see you in like 12 hours. Yeah. <laughs> the balance part of that is having a good conversation with somebody's company that you enjoy and trying to get some work done at the same time. Yeah. So I have to really like, You're like, like shut, tell up, myself, Kevin. shut up, Kevin. Look down, look down, look down. <laughs> but so he knows a lot about you, but Matt and I really don't know much about you. Mm-hmm. So tell us just a little bit. Like I like to hear where people came from. Like oh. what kind of family did you grow up in? Sure. Just the basics of your childhood. Mm-hmm. So and then we'll get into. So my parents brought me. To, I was born in El Salvador, and my parents brought me to the states when I was about four. We illegally crossed the border. And uh, I was raised in Los Angeles. That's kind of the hot topic right now in uh, social media and politics. And it's definitely one of my buttons because it's just so black and white. It's so easy to people. They're all criminals. They're all this. They're all MS-13, whatever. It's like every single case is so individual. You can't. There's so many shades of gray in between those lines. Um, But when I grew up in L.A., I grew I. um, during the military when I was 17, I was still didn't have my residency yet. I was, I was a resident alien. When okay. I joined the military is when I actually got my citizenship. And I feel that I've earned my American citizenship through, through the service that I did. And um, now I, I feel like I'm a contributing person in, our, in society. I don't take from the government. I've never had government aid. I just want to work and be with my family. And to be thought of as like one of these people that's going to come to our country and take our jobs. Like... I don't even do my own landscaping. I hate doing that shit. <laughs> what are you talking about? I, you know, I just... It's so a, did you grow up with siblings or are you an only child? I'm the oldest of three brothers. So it's a lot of testosterone in our house. For real? Yeah. And... Um, what was your dad's job growing up? He was a mechanic. He was okay. a car mechanic. And um, we mostly grew up in apartments. Where in L.A.? In, in the heart of L.A. at first. Okay. Um, then we moved to... Uh, East L.A. area, by Pico Rivera, Montebello area. 
but we grew up near the Queen of Angels Hospital. That's kind of an iconic spot near the Five. Okay. And um, it was a little bit rough. Mm. Uh, it's a rough area. Yeah. I was about 11 when I joined the gang. Mm. And uh, from there, I think about a year after is when we ended up moving out of that area. And um, my cousins were pretty heavy into that scene. And... I don't know why I just rebelled. I, I'm, I've always rebelled against everything. I was, it was a major Catholic area, major Hispanic type of stuff. So I decided I wanted to be a rebellious, dark punk rock kid in a <laughs> very Catholic area. <laughs> I, don't I, I don't know how that feels at all. <laughs> I never going rebelled. against the grain of the popular religion. Yeah. yeah. yeah so it's or just even the the culture in general. Mm-hmm. It's like I I don't know. I always hated just being looked at like everyone else. Like, no, I'm different. I think it's because I've always rejected groupthink. Now that I'm older and I'm able to really go back and forth on why I'm like this, why I tend to rebel so much. And it's because of the tide of the, 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 the mainstream thinking that's around you. Nobody questions anything. It's just, oh, that's just the way it is. God mm-hmm. works in mysterious ways. <laughs> like, that just means you don't know. Yeah. And I want to know deeper stuff than that. That's why I, I wasn't Catholic when I was about 12. I decided to step back from that because they weren't answering my questions. And then, um, well, getting back to um, how, I was, how I grew up, joining the military at 17 and uh, just bounced around from there and really grew up in the Army. I feel like I was raised in L.A., but I grew up in the military. And that's when a and lot 17 is young. Yeah. Like my daughter's 17 yeah, right now, and I feel like she's a baby still. And I couldn't imagine <laughs> him sending going him through away. That crap. Yeah, that's what we do. Just kidding. <clears throat> that's that's the. I mean, that's what we do as a culture, right? right? You know, what's like funny we say to, to people. Me? Well, the thing that's crazy too is like we say to people, "Hey, um, you're kind of not enough. Like you're not even a citizen yet. But if you at 17 years old join the military, guess what, man? You get to be one of us, mm-hmm. right? That's freaking crazy." <laughs> Well, and that, I, that's what we do. What got me was um, I wasn't getting along with my parents at the time, again, being super rebellious. So I did not like to be told what to do. My dad saw. So you joined the military? <laughs> my dad saw a tattoo on my back that I got when I was 14. When I was 17, I hid it for three years. What was it? It was like a Grim Reaper in a graveyard. It looks like a smear. It's been lasered off now, <laughs> but it looked like a, like a crayon smear to the right. And. Uh, so he saw that. We got in a good fist fight, and he, the last thing he told me was, if you're going to live in my house, you're going to do what I say. And oh. that just brewed in my head. And then that week, the recruiter happened to be going, and he said, we'll train you, we'll feed you, we'll house you. I was like, that's better than being homeless to me. <laughs> so I'm going to join you because I out. hate to be told what to do, so I joined the Army. I hate being told what to do, so I'm going to join yes. the Army and be told what it to do was, every day, all day. <laughs> it was rough. It was a rough adjustment. What's that like? What was that like for you? The first, first part, shock yeah. of being told when to go to sleep and when to wake up and, and everything, it was, it was like a dream. I was just in a daze for, for a little bit, and it just nothing seemed real. I think it was just because I was so tired. Because you, you get woke. It was the only time in my life I've ever stolen food, too, because you're burning so many calories. You're up at 4.30, and you go to bed at 9 on the dot, and you're out. And then the next, like, it feels like you just close your eyes and then, again, 4.30 alarm, you're getting yelled at. And it's just over and over and over. And you just kind of go numb. But being that young, being homesick, um, that's what I think ruined basic training for me a little bit. 
Because everybody that asks me for advice now, I tell them, have fun. As crazy as that sounds, like just have fun because you're going to be doing stuff that people pay a lot of money to do in the outside world. Jumping out of airplanes, shooting crazy stuff, just have fun. Enjoy the ride. Most likely your job isn't even going to have this type of stuff in it, and you're never going to touch that stuff again. But that's the stuff you, you learn how to... Does everybody get that in basic training? Everybody goes through infantry training. It's, it's like a, a cut-down infantry training. And then from there, it's only two months, and then from there you go and get trained in your actual job. And I had two jobs. Um, I, at first I worked with field artillery, just working with rockets. And then I was going to get out... And uh, I sound Canadian right there, don't I? Out. <laughs> out. Uh, so then I was going to get out, and um, I realized that working on with rockets doesn't really translate to the civilian world too much. So I re-enlisted again and, uh, to work on helicopters, and that's what I was supposed to be doing. And that's what um, I went to Iraq to do, was work on helicopters. What, what year did you deploy? Oh, five. And it's I was... gnarly I, years, man. Yeah. Five is like... That's big money. So I was actually supposed to get an, an 04. Wait, wow. no. No, I was supposed to get an, an 05, yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, they had this rule where if you were 90 days within the deployment date, whatever your orders were, they're all getting deleted. Nobody's leaving anywhere within 90 days. And in that little block was my last day of being in the Army. I was going to get out. And my contract was involuntarily extended for 11 months so I can go to the desert. Involuntarily extended. Involuntarily extended. It was a slap on the ass, have a good time. In Iraq? Yes. And at the time, it was in the very beginning of that. Because now they actually give you a choice or you get extra money every month for being beyond your contract. I didn't get any of those at the time. So I was not a very happy camper when I was over there. All I can think of was, uh, I'm not even supposed to be here today. And you want me to do what? Yeah, like, just pissed. Yeah, pretty much. I, I almost lost my rank over there. I got in a lot of trouble. <laughs> and uh, if I, it sounds dumb, but I just kept thinking, if I die over here, I'm going to be so mad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm <laughs> going to kill you. Oh, I'm not even supposed to be here. You are, yeah, exactly. That's <laughs> right? what I kept thinking. Yeah. Clerks over and over. I'm not even supposed to be <laughs> here today. That's a good reference, man. <laughs> I'm not even going to get that. That's a good one. So what's what some of the stuff... Um, just to give an idea of the things that you've had to deal with. Real quick, sorry, can I ask one question? Yeah, go ahead. Where in Iraq were you stationed? I was in Camp Taji. It's a it's a post forty miles west of Baghdad. So That's Baghdad all I was area. told. So may or may not have been real. I don't know. They, oh, real? oh right, because you didn't because you like were on the base most of the time. Like you didn't. Well, if it doesn't, if your decision isn't necessary or required for a certain thing, uh-huh. then it doesn't matter whether you know or don't know. Most likely, you're not even going to know. Like, the wor- the helicopters that I worked on, we had 30, 35 Blackhawks, mm-hmm. and we were helping out special forces. We were doing a lot of secret missions at night. And it to me, it's irrelevant. Fix the helicopters. That's your job. It's broken. Go fix it. So where you're, Why? At, where you're at doesn't matter. Where Yeah, where you're at or what it's for. It doesn't matter. You're just part of the cog. Your cog, your part of the, in the game is you fix this helicopter. So beyond that, don't worry about it. We need a working helicopter. So there's all this unknown just surrounding you all mm-hmm. the time. Yeah. Horrific. Everything is compartmentalized. The one time they actually told me what we were doing at night... And I, by that point, I didn't even ask questions. I didn't even care anymore. Yeah. So they're like, we need a we need a night team to stay because we're going to have some, a team of five helicopters leaving out. And then the guy that was over me is like, guess what we're doing tonight? 
And he's like, I, you know, I have no idea. He's like, we're flying Saddam back and forth to his court. What? I was like, whoa, like that secret could not be held back. That was pretty what? gnarly. Yeah. For real? They had uh, dummies. Every helicopter had a dummy in a jumpsuit with a bag. That way, so you wouldn't know which mm-hmm. one so he was in. they wouldn't know. Yeah. So the enemy wouldn't know, So right? they wouldn't know. We wouldn't, wouldn't know. know. Nobody, Nobody know. well, certain people would know, but it was, it was, everything was at random, super secure. So you knew, you knew you were flying, but you didn't know if it was him or a dummy. Yeah. That's kind of freaky. It was pretty crazy. Whoa. Did it scare you? Um, I thought it was kind of exciting. At that point... How you, old are you at this point? Oh, my God, 25. Okay. Um, at that point, you get so used to the war area. It's, it's surreal. I remember going to the chow hall and just having these weird foggy moments where I, was, I had a sandwich and I, I was about to take my rifle out and I just thought about what I was doing. I'm like, I am waving around a fully automatic rifle in a chow hall that's loaded with people and nobody gives a damn. This is the world we're living in right now. It's so weird. Think about that scenario Anywhere Anywhere else, else. I have a full magazine with 30 rounds on my rifle. Nobody cares. And then another time, we were sitting there having lunch, and we hear mortars coming in, like, doom, doom, doom. And the two new guys, you can always tell when the people were new, the two guys in front of us started freaking out. They they grabbed their vest and, like, getting their helmets and everything, and all of us are just looking at them. Just eating? Yeah, and I was like... You better hurry up and eat your sandwich because the alarm's about to sound off and we're going to be in the bunker for the next two hours. You're still in one piece and the bomb went off already, so don't even worry about it. <laughs> that is what? crazy. Yeah. So That's you're just right. numb to what's yeah. going on around you. You hear boom, boom. Like, oh, okay. I'm, just, I'm here, so keep eating. You're still in one piece. And that's how I went to sleep every night. Basically, like, you go into bed. You have to, you have to go to sleep. Yeah. So it's like, I really hope I wake up with all my parts tomorrow. That would be really nice. And um, our, our, our little trailers were right next to the helicopter airbase. And the, the outside people, they weren't very well trained. They basically had like old pipes and their homemade mortars and stuff. So they weren't aiming accurately. But they liked to hit big expensive things like the helicopters, which we slept next to, which was very uncomfortable. So and you're just waiting for those to be bombed, knowing they're right next to you. Right next to us. And... Uh, that's what ended up giving me a lot of nightmares when I got back, and I didn't even realize that what was going on. I didn't get help for maybe six months. This is the first time I ended up going to the VA because of the nightmares, of the night sweats I was having. I was sweating through my pajamas, sweating through the comforter and the pillow, and I would be freezing at night. So every night around 2 or 3, I'd have to get up change clothes completely and put a new pillow, new comforter, and then go back to sleep. And then I got so dehydrated because I couldn't drink enough water to keep up with that that I ended up going to the hospital for it. Oh, my God. So you're sleeping next to these helicopters. You're in there. You're in Iraq for mm-hmm. a while. Yeah. Did you ever see anything? Or was it always, like, kind of far away? Like, you'd hear it. Yeah, it was mostly, I've just heard a lot of stuff. Because of my job, it wasn't required for me to go outside the gate. I I just never saw the town. I was sent to Baghdad once um, for a little bit of R&R because I was being a little bit grumpy. And uh, that was the only time I ever left besides coming back home to the States for um, 30 days leave. But you would hear these bombs going off kind of far away. Constantly. No, things are happening, but you... 
can't see anything. You know, like just, stuff's going down at the gate. You just, you see things every now and then. When I was on guard duty once, there was a big um, rocket that went over us. And, um, but nothing, no, no full contact. No, I never shot anybody. I never directly killed anybody. Yeah, so I just, I guess in my mind, I just think just being there, just having to deal, and like you said, hearing it and knowing what's going on, mm-hmm. whether it ever actually hit you or you saw blood or anything to that effect, like se- serious PTSD. Yeah. So that just goes to show, I feel like everybody that's ever been in the military, in the everybody has some form of PTSD that yeah. they need help with. Oh, yeah. The, the strangest part is being in a country where you know a lot of people want to kill you for what you're wearing. And it's, it's heavy. Like, the tension is very heavy. They see us, like, the way they look at you. And, you know, you're... you're standing behind an armored vehicle and you have an armored vest on and everything, you have a weapon, you have much more strong, uh, stronger firepower than they do, but there's so many of them. You know, you only have so many bullets, and if they really want to, it's, it's scary. It's and like they a, hate you. They want to see you dead. They want to see your body dragged through the streets, and you know it going in. I don't know if you, you guys ever saw Black probably. Hawk Down, but that's all that kept going through my head is Black Hawk Down. Uh that scenario where you just get stuck behind enemy lines. Yeah, or when the warrant officers down. got dragged through the streets mm-hmm. or just all that all that ugly mess. And there was a story around that time. I can't remember her name, but it was a soldier that got caught. And we ended up rescuing her. But what bummed me out, what, what really confused me was that she still had ammunition in her weapon. Like, I'm not going out like that. That's all I kept thinking. If I have a weapon, if I have ammo, I'm shooting. I'm shooting till I'm done. And I used to, my father-in-law gave me this big double-edged knife that I used to hide under my vest in the back. It was so uncomfortable, but I refused to move it because in my head, if I was out of bullets, if we were down and they were right in front of us, that knife was going up somebody's chin. That is the last person I'm going to kill before they take me or kill me or whatever. Like, I am, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out fighting. I just can't believe that these are thoughts you have that have to go through your head. Yeah. You know, we live in a world I've I've never grown up with. I've lived a very good life <laughs> in suburbia, <laughs> like yeah. the majority of my life. And I've never had these thoughts. I've never had these worries, that anxiety. How do you ever get rid of that? You don't. You just learn to... Look, well, what I'm learning in therapy now is you learn instead of thinking black and white, you try to see the alternatives in these thoughts and the, the different ways things can be interpreted. Um, when, I think it was 2012, there was a little bit of drama in a place that I used to work, and I thought somebody was following me. I was in the Walmart with one of my kids, and... I, I, I thought they were following me. I saw them in the store. And then when I knew they were at a, a certain checkout, I knew what door they were going to come out of. So I hid in my car and I put, angled myself so I can see where they were walking for. I had my gun in my lap. Like if he started looking around, looking for my car, I was going to shoot that dude. I was ready to kill him because my kid was there. Yeah. And that paranoia of that, what that, you did. That same through. paranoia. I still have it. I still yeah. have that same paranoia at night. 
I, I sleep with two dogs in my bedroom, and I have an alarm system. I have a camera system here. I have a lot of things that allow me to kind of put my guard down a little bit, but yeah. it's always there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hypervigilance. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, people, like, uh, uh, the counselors are always like, is somebody really trying to kill you, or do you just think that? Like, I don't know. Like, yeah, or, that's, or That's what it is, right? It's, again, I don't know. It's just the uh-huh. same thing that you thought. When you're going to bed at night, I don't know. Yeah, you just the don't unknown know. is the thing that's scary. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I I, I want to let it go. I really want to let it go. But then the the reality is, this world is ugly. This world is mean. There's some bad people on this planet. There's a lot of great people on this planet. Of wonderful, loving people, but. There does exist that element of people that will harm you for absolutely no reason or for things you got or for anger issues that they have or whatever. And Well, and you've seen a lot of that, mm-hmm. and which would make you assume that it's like for me, I guess for the longest time, I was super naive because mm-hmm. I was like, what do you no, there's not bad people. Right. Like everyone around me is great. It's, it's <laughs> ignorance is bliss, isn't it? Yes and no, because, because never... I think being aware is also a good tool to have mm. in life. Well, and the other thing, too, that strikes me that just therapy brain is moving. Like, you grew up where you grew up, too. Yeah. Seven years old. On top of that, yeah. Right, like that. I, I wouldn't even be surprised, like, if, if that's kind of where even some of that thought process started. Yeah. Like, the on guard, everything is unsafe. Mm-hmm. I got to protect myself. It's me against the world, and you brought that into the army, and then it reinforced that belief and kept it going. And then today, probably safer than you've been in a oh, long time. Much, much. My kids have never lived in apartments. My mm-hmm. kids have never lived in a bad neighborhood. And that belief still persists. Though. The it's unknown still there. Still, it's still there. I keep all my neighbors at a distance now. I like. I'll wave. I'll be polite. I know well, what their faces are. I mean, <laughs> I just don't allow people to get very close to me. Um, yeah, going back to when I, growing up in L.A., all our windows always had bars on them, mm-hmm. and all the doors always had a secondary metal door on the outside. I remember getting into, like, Nightmare on Elm Street when I was eight. And I only bring that up because, to me, that's entertainment. It's fake. Freddy Krueger, Jason Voorhees, like, all the horror, that was awesome entertainment. Real monsters were on the other side of those metal bars. Crackheads, gangbangers, people trying to break in your house. Those are real. Freddy Krueger is... A really fun fantasy. <laughs> I've never been scared of horror movies because there is real horror in the world. Because you've seen it. Yeah. Well, even when I was little, I just seen some messed up stuff too. Yeah. As far as violence and, and people getting killed. So you saw some of that stuff when you were little. You mm-hmm. saw more of that when you were younger than you did in Iraq. Because you didn't yes. see people get killed, but yeah. you saw that when you were... Holy shit. Yeah. In Iraq, I, I, it wasn't... It was... We would clean up blood from the helicopters. There would be bullet holes in it and stuff. The, I think the most we had to deal with was one of our crew chiefs ended up committing suicide in the helicopters. And then after they took it for the investigation, they gave it back to us. And there was still blood everywhere. We had to clean all that up. And it was that, that was our friend. We knew that guy. We, know, we were stationed for a couple of years together. And to clean up his blood, it sucks. Uh, do you still have nightmares now? Um, I do, I do. Um, what do you dream about? I don't know. 
that's why I'm having a hard time answering that. I know I have nightmares because I wake up in cold sweats. Mm. I don't know what they are. So night terrors. Yeah. yeah. I used to, the, one, the ones that I did have, um, they were like adult nightmares. Like I would break my hand, I couldn't pay my bills, my house was getting repossessed, totally. Totally. or my, yeah, th- those were the kind of nightmares I was having, or my kids were sick or something, mm-hmm. but it wasn't like anything like, maybe it's not it war related. I don't know. I mean, the themes are the same though, right? Like powerlessness, there's unknown, yes. there's yes. this inability to act, yeah. that's. It's that's always super. about protecting myself and people around me and mm-hmm. feeling helpless where I can't, and that's my nightmare, that's the stuff that we've been talking about in counseling too. Yeah. Is people overpowering me in one way or another, yeah. and I get very defensive over that. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, it makes sense. That's that's the narrative you've lived for your entire life. And I'm not a big person, you know. That's that's what? another thing that <laughs> that's another thing that kind of always is on my mind. Like this person is way bigger than me, mm-hmm. so I can't even like pretend that they intimidate me. Because where I grew up, if you act intimidated, you're going to get punched. You're going to get punched. Yeah, yeah. you're going to get nailed. Yeah. Punch, you're gonna get so even if you're ready. getting beat up, you still can't act like a weenie. <laughs> if you got beat up, you need to get back up and keep talking smack. Yeah. Otherwise, they're going to be like this freaking punk, whatever. It's just yeah. it's silly. So yeah. what? Um, when did you start? I know you said you got a tattoo when you are 14. Yeah. When did you decide to start doing tattoos? When I couldn't get a job and I got out of the Army. When uh, I was supposed, I wanted to go work on helicopters. That was the whole plan. I, I trained for five years. I was certified in a bunch of stuff. I was really good at my job, mm-hmm. and I could not get an interview. And the aviation industry is, has kind of a good old boy system where if you don't know somebody to get in, mm-hmm. you can't get in. And uh, for, it was for three months. I was trying so hard just to get an interview, and I was just so bummed and like my, my savings from Iraq was like slowly coming down and I happened to go into a tattoo shop one day that was built while I was in Iraq and I got offered an apprenticeship on the spot went really? home and talked to my wife I was like I need to do something I can't just keep hoping that these people are going to call me back one day so even if I have to start from the bottom started sweeping floors and wiping toilets again and that's just how I started tattooing so it it, it was weird because I was supposed to get out at a certain time that didn't happen. I went to Iraq. That tattoo shop was built. I was able to save up money to not work for a little bit and get my apprenticeship and then start tattooing. None of that was ever in the plan. Yeah. I never even planned to move to Utah. None of this has ever been in the plan. It's just the way life unfolds what, for me. What brought you to Utah? My little brother and my buddy, Anthony Wick. They were the only two people that I knew in Utah, and they were both just telling me how much I would love it here. And... I don't know if you guys know what DMT is or ayahuasca. Yep. So uh, I do. Do we know? <laughs> we want to do it so bad. Really? <laughs> well, I'll tell you this much. It will change everything. When I did ayahuasca, it opened my eyes to the, the type of life I was going to lead where money and fame was important. And that's where I was putting all my concentration into just being uh, an award-winning world-famous tattoo artist. And um, when I took ayahuasca, it really showed me the truth. And we and I quit my job. We sold our house. We sold all our furniture. And we moved to Utah with our pets and our clothes. That's how much ayahuasca That's got to me. Awesome. You just were ready for that change in your life. Yeah. Well, I took it, and it was a terrible trip. Really? I don't know if you've done research on it, but it's basically your subconscious comes out and speaks to you. 
very directly. It's like sounds cool and scary all you, at the same time. You can't, you can't lie to it. It yeah. knows everything about you. And to me, it was a black cat. This black cat tormented me for six hours. It was terrible. It was a horrible experience. So then, but it changed you. Me being the smart ass that I am, <laughs> always trying to bend rules in a way or another, I kind of did what it told me. And six months later, I had a flashback. I was in Philadelphia, and it, it was the same. I, I leaned back in my bed, and I fell through it, and I was in this weird cloud area, and that damn cat came out talking shit. <laughs> and that's when I finally changed my mind, because I'm a little bit stubborn. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it took you a little bit longer to be like, yeah, so, okay, I get it. Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. I'm like, okay, okay, I'll listen. I'll do what you say. Like, stop harassing me. Can you share what he told you? The cat said, look at you, Mr. Rockstar, with a pocket full of money, all drunk and high. You feel like you're big shit, don't you? And then it showed me my family. I'm like, you haven't even spoken to your family in three days. Like, This is the type of life you really want to lead? Mm. Like, look at the people who really care about you. Where are they at? And where are you at right now? And it just really sunk in deep. I just saw, like, I just saw my family's face when I would leave for deployments. or I've done it so many times to them, I've just left. I hate leaving them now. If I can, if I have to go to Vegas, I'll go in the morning and I'm back by the evening. I just don't like leaving my family at all. I... I don't have a social life. I, I, you know, all I do is work and go hang out with them. That's pretty much my entire life. That's really cool. It's pretty fulfilling, I bet, too. Now it is, now that I understand what, where, what real priority is mm. and to really spend time with the people that matter the most and not with people who you think are going to position you for whatever status points. Yeah, it's not about success no. or achievement. It's about fulfillment and connections. Yes. I don't... I don't work for money. I mean, I do, but it's not yeah. my goal. I think that money is a byproduct of passion and hard work. That's why, I don't know if Kevin ever talked to you about how freaking picky I am about the projects that I take and sometimes how difficult I can mm-hmm. be. Uh, you think we've never talked about this? You know, so <laughs> it, it's because if I know, if, if, if the, the idea doesn't just resonate with me, my heart isn't going to be into it. And for somebody to walk around with half-hearted work for me is not right for them, and it's not right for me, and it's just you're doing it for money at that point. So if I only do it for passion and I could really put like my whole energy into it, to me that's so much more fulfilling. And the money chases that. Yeah. People see quality, they see passion, and they want that. So what's that like when you put your whole heart into it and all this emotion and energy that sounds kind of exhausting. It is. I have about a 16-hour workday, and it's the life that I chose. I could. It's it's easy to work at a regular tattoo shop where you have walk-ins coming in, and you just don't just the quick little copy paste whatever. I could do that. I, I'm really efficient. That's how my career started. Was in a walk-in shop, but I just don't want to do that anymore. It just seems it's just not cold. fulfilling. It's for money. It's just cold. What have you have you had? many experiences where you get emotionally invested in tattoos. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's honestly why I don't take on a lot of, uh, like a personal portraits. I do more like celebrity stuff or like stuff for movies or popular people. It's because there's no real connection there. Um, when I did your husband's tattoo, 
I think I ended up canceling my next day, and I was really depressed for like three days. I was, I was bummed thinking about it coming up, doing it really beat me up, and then after I just, uh, it was it was it was tiring. What made you decide to do it? Because we didn't know you at that point. Because I have a daughter, and that stuff really hits me. Like with children, especially like thinking about my kids, like that's. That's hard. Like, yeah, I have a hard time looking at you right now. Just, <laughs> uh, I, I know that... You're a for, good man, Well, For a while, I, I, I was even kind of like... I don't even know what the word is. I was um, very hesitant to ask about what happened to your daughter. And it just... I didn't want... Because this is something else I'm also learning in therapy, is that um, sadness and loss uh, is very difficult for me and I avoid it and I will either get really cold about it and just ignore it or I'll get aggressive about it and just dealing with it is very difficult for me especially when it's somebody else's pain or like I don't know how to like address it or what to say Um, but even yeah, even that that tattoo was very difficult. And then after that, it was just like I couldn't take on any more personal tattoos. I've had people like hit me up about they want to get something for their mom passing away, or the last one I got sent was um, it was a newborn that passed away within a week, and they had a picture, and I was like, oh my god, I can't, I, I can't do that. It's just it's so heavy. I yeah I, <clears throat> and for I don't not everyone has seen. Kevin's tattoo, but on his left arm, he has a picture of Bridie, and it's her walking towards, like, the light, basically, is the idea. Anyways, if you've seen the picture and you've seen Kevin's arm, it is identical. I mean, it is incredible. It's unbelievable. I was super hesitant when he wanted to do it, because I just never had been in the tattoo world. Mm -hmm. Didn't know much about it. Um, grew up, you know, thinking it was not okay. Yeah, of <laughs> so course. So it scared yeah. me. <clears throat> but Kevin wanted it so bad. And I remember, well, I was there. And it was like four hours. And yeah, it was pretty quiet. Like yeah. you were pretty quiet. Kevin was a little quiet. It was almost like a somber moment. Yes. Um, I was in a chair reading because I like couldn't mm-hmm. talk about it still. It was pretty soon... I want to say it was like six months after she passed. It was that summer after. And so, but it's incredible. And I love it. I remember coming home and I was like, oh my gosh, I get to just look at your arm and see her Mm -hmm. all the time, which I just love. I mean, so cool. That's something not everyone gets to do. So I'm super appreciative, forever grateful Mm -hmm. you did that for us because it's for, it's always on him. I'll always see her on him. And And that's the cool thing, I think, in your profession that I admire the most, just watching from afar is like you give these people a gift mm-hmm. that they that they will forever have that not only is a gift that like you get to give somebody and they receive but becomes a part of who they yeah. are that's freaking incredible I, it's it makes me feel really good too yeah to put a really nice piece on somebody or fix something or cover something that they've been miserable with or like you could see it in their eyes like it's it's really cool. It's really fulfilling. People. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I know not every, like we've talked about this before, not every tattoo has meaning, no. right? But some of them have such deep meaning. 
that it like, I mean, even the one that's on my back has so much meaning to me. Mm -hmm. And sometimes having someone just ask about it is really important. Yeah. You know, where someone gives a crap. Mm -hmm. They're like, well, what is that? What does that mean? What is that? Because it is, it's, it's me. It's who I am. It's such a, it's this phase of my life that is so hard, but so important. Yeah. You know? And so granted that's, like I said, that's not every tattoo. I mean, but most, my tattoos have meaning and I know Kevin's do. And so I just have to assume that a lot of people, Mm -hmm. maybe not all of them, but have some that are really meaningful to them. I, I I have some that have stories behind it and others that are completely goofy and just <laughs> they're for aesthetics. And a lot of times, like, I'm such an introvert about everything. I just don't like talking about that stuff. I usually <laughs> hold, wear a hoodie. I just don't. I'm always, I don't know. Obviously, you saw where I work. It's a cave. <laughs> and I didn't even think about it. I have a room at my home, which is in the basement. It's the furthest door you can get to. And that's where I paint also. It's another cave. So I tend to hide a lot. You paint too? Hmm? Yes, yes, and it's really cool. <laughs> I paint, sculpt, I just whatever you wow. get. Like in my he hands. does, because we came up to uh, what was that? We came up to it's like a showcase of your painting. Yeah, yeah, the dark, dark arts. Their dark arts show. Yeah, it was really cool. I, I guess I just I like that world. Always scared me because mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, it's dark, it's scary, and yeah. I just have recognized how deep and cool it is. Like I was looking at his pictures and I'm like, there's so many levels and so many, like it's it, just a lot of depth to just the colors and the textures. And it was really cool. And even just being in that room with all those, mm-hmm. it was really neat. And tying it back to like, even, even like your military experience, right? Like the thing that is the scariest for us as human beings is whatever is unknown. Yeah. And if there's an unknown out there, that is scarier than even known detriment much much way scarier your imagination will haunt you oh for sure and that's probably what continues to haunt you right yeah and the thing even for you bethany you're talking about like i didn't know anything it was like this scary and then you experience it and you understand it and you get it and all of a sudden it's not unfamiliar and unknown anymore and it's no longer scary when you gain like for me i gained a deep appreciation for art in general Mm -hmm. and what people are able to do and that's that's the the root of hate and fear Much. and aggression and all this stuff is this unknown element where we're looking at other people that we don't understand and it's unknown to us. And so we automatically assume, well, if I'm afraid, then it's bad, mm-hmm. which is not true. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what I think <laughs> as I, as I get that more as a human being to like be open to things that I don't understand and feel unknown initially not only do I become more loving and accepting and understanding, my relationships deepen, my connections grow, and I'm happier, which seems counterintuitive. Like leaning into the unknown and trying new things that seem scary, like even just going to a, a dark arts show. As you open your mind to these things and connect with new people, that, that's what builds growth. Yeah. That's what creates happiness. Oh, that's, widens that's that circle cool. of friendship and people and... yeah. It's awesome. It's it's fulfilling for me to have all these. I mean, I always say like, which they this might not be the proper term, but I always say like the weirder the better for me. Like mm-hmm. meeting someone because they're interesting. Weird yes. is interesting. <laughs> weird that, and that's to me. I don't look at weird as like a 
negative word. Maybe it is to a lot of people. So sorry. <laughs> I find it fascinating. Yeah. I'm like, I want you to be different from me because mm-hmm. I don't need to hang out with someone like me. That's boring. Mm-hmm. I want to learn. I want to grow. And the only way to do that is to be around people that are nothing like me. Yeah. And I love it. It's yeah. been neat. That's a great part of my job, too. The type of people that I get to work on and hang out with, from like lawyers and doctors to Mongols and like drug dealers and everything in between. It's it's really cool. It's it's really interesting the type of of uh, conversations I've had with people. You know, it's like interesting. That. We um, so I had a. My OBGYN, I had a procedure done back in August, and he saw my tattoo, and mm-hmm. he has tattoos. And we just sat and talked. This is an OBGYN. So, you know, he's been through a lot of school. Smart dude. But anyways, he was saying, I mean, he loved, well, then he met with Kevin, loved his tattoos, and he was just like, people don't even realize, and he was working on a sleeve. Mm-hmm. Anyways, he wanted to know, we've had multiple people want to know who you are, because mm-hmm. <laughs> they're like, you guys, you're amazing. Who is this? Who did this? And same with, we had a plastic surgeon who, um, had tattoos and he, he said, he's like, we have women who come in here, um, which this obviously is not the artistic side, but people don't realize, I guess with tattoos, they'll come in and need surgery done or have, you know, like if you have breast cancer or something and they're like, we need someone who is gifted to make this woman feel beautiful again. And I thought that was really neat. I'd never thought about mm-hmm. it that way. Because to me, tattoos was always like, I don't know, crazy. Something mm-hmm. different and something wild. Or even like the skull and crossbones. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, that was yeah, always sure. creepy and weird to me. Mm-hmm. Until talking to you. Mm-hmm. And you kind of changed my perception on right that. On. <laughs> so I want you to tell people why you like skull and cross that kind of thing. The skulls. The skulls. To me, listen is... up, Brindy. My wife hates skulls, so I'm very excited for this moment. <laughs> Hit it, Will. I think people don't like looking at things like that because it's a reminder of their own mortality. Everybody's going to end up in that position, and it doesn't necessarily scare me, but it's just a reminder of the inevitable. Um, that's why I have a coffin tattooed on my cheek, and it has a little circle positive on it. It basically just means to me, live well and remember death. Because it's coming. You don't know when, but it's coming. So today better count. Right now better count. This is the only existence that we know of at the moment. The future and the past is all an illusion. And you have to really embrace the concept that you're going to die in order to live every day to the fullest. And that's what the skulls are to me. The dark, All the dark imagery that I have around me is just a reminder of the inevitable. And... It's also like a, a beauty that, to me, nature is completely perfect. So even in decay, even in death, in, even in its shell, beauty. There's still beauty in nature, and it's all. It's cool. Big huh? That's life. freaking way cool. I remember when. Love it. Uh, it's beautiful. Kevin Thanks. told me that, and I was like, because I'd always thought, same as I'm sure your wife, like, yeah. skull and crossbones. It's like death. It's yep. evil. It's scary. I never thought <sighs> of these natural. skulls as like. Yeah, this way of remembering you will die. Mm-hmm. So you better enjoy what you got. You better like live life to the... F- I just, yeah. I like that idea so much. The other thing that's cool about skulls is everybody's skull looks the same. Mm-hmm. 
break, remove everything. We're all the same yeah. inside. It's just that's yours, mine, everybody's man, woman, different races, different, mm-hmm. you know, sexuality. It doesn't matter. Everybody's skull on the inside, exact same. That's why I've always thought it was beautiful. So I thought that's where you were going with it because mm-hmm. that's kind of how I think of it. Mm-hmm. And I love your take on it that it's this reminder of mortality. Yeah. That it's even motivation to be in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. But I think my favorite thing you said, though, is that the past and the future are an illusion. Mm-hmm. They don't exist. Yet many, many people live their lives hopeful that one day they will be enough in the future and yeah. miss out on this moment or thinking back on the past and all this crap they've been through. And yeah. that's why they're terrible. A lot of the therapy that I do is just about get into the now. And if a skull is the thing you need to get there to help you remember how mortality is a good thing. Mm-hmm. I love it. I freaking really love it. I'm actually, I might steal that. Right on. (laughs) (laughs) Matt's going to come in to get a skull soon. (laughs) (laughs) Can you imagine? So you live in Utah. Yes. You, because people can't see you, so I like to paint a picture. Mm -hmm. You got tattoos everywhere. You're all (laughs) tatted up. Uh, My chest and my back aren't. So, really? Yeah, I was going to say, all the, piece, all the parts I can see you have. <laughs> Everybody thinks I'm heavily tattooed, but I'm not that heavy. But the, I guess the interesting part to me is like, you know, the first time I met you, I that judgment side comes out of, mm-hmm. I just see tattoos. And then I talk to you and I'm like, this is like the sweetest man I've ever met. <laughs> <laughs> like, it, It's kind of my shell in a way also, because if people choose to judge me right away, it's, it's okay. Mm-hmm. Because you just save me a lot of time. We it's don't have test. to have BS conversations. I know you're not going to be nice to me. I know what to expect, and that's cool. Like, if somebody's going to be prejudiced, be prejudiced, like, straight up. I, I appreciate that. <laughs> don't beat around like the bush. That. Be an asshole yeah, exactly. right away. I like so that. I know you're a dick, and I can kick yeah, you out of my life. Totally cool. Um, <laughs> There's some good love to it. that. Yeah, love but it. other people, if you manage to see through that shell and still want to talk to me, that's cool, too. Yeah. Has, it, has that ever been a difficult thing, or is that how you've always seen it? Have you ever... Had frustrations with people like, you don't no. even know me. This started as a teenager, as okay. rebelling everywhere I went. And I'm f- almost 40 now. I'm pretty used to it. I live, you know, it, it's Utah. I, I stick out. I don't care. You know, if people don't want to talk to me, that's fine. But the only time I get a little bit aggressive is if, like, it's a service industry thing. You're not going to disrespect me while taking my order or whatever. Like that, just do your job. That's all I care about. Yeah. You don't have to be that friendly to me. Be polite. Just do your job, mm-hmm. or you're not gonna like me. Yeah, I bet. I've I've straight up asked somebody, like, they were. I saw them smile and talk to the person in front of me. I rolled up. And it was at a Costco, and they barely made eye contact with me. Like, how are you doing? And then almost like, on purpose, looks to the person to my that's behind me with a smile. How are you doing today? And I was like, huh. And I was like, excuse me, is it my tattoos or skin color? And then they're like, excuse me? I'm like, I'm trying to figure out whether you're racist or prejudiced. Just which one is it so I can kind of pinpoint you. And then they stood speechless. like, oh, am I making you feel uncomfortable? How about you just do your damn job then? Yeah. And it's like, well, how do you think you just made me feel? Right. Like, no, Sorry. let's make everybody awkward. I don't care. <laughs> if you're going to make me feel weird, I'm going to make everybody feel weird now. I've kind of reached that point in my life where... Or when you're younger, you're like, no, I shouldn't. Now I'm like, Timid. let's see what happens. <laughs> you know, I don't I care. It. I don't answer to anybody. Experiment. Yeah, pretty much. I don't have to answer to anybody no. in life. I don't work for anybody. No. And I like being polite to people, but I don't have to be. 
And I wish people would get that more, man. Like, (sighs) this whole idea of, like, being kind is one thing. Sure. Right? Kindness is very, very important. Mm -hmm. But the idea that I need to placate or to kowtow or to... I don't know what any of those words mean. (laughs) (laughs) To basically... (laughs) You always do this to me. (laughs) Basically... I don't need to lay down for anybody. Okay. Right? Like, I don't need to be the doormat. Nope. And people think that being kind is being a doormat. That's bullshit. Well, there's a difference totally. between mm-hmm. being a kind person and letting people walk all over yeah. you. Yeah. And that's, but the thing is, is that is very often confused mm-hmm. where somebody might hear Will saying like, oh, you're talking back to a, a Costco checkout guy. Like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you do that to somebody. I hear that. I'm like... Stepping into your power, man. Hell yeah. Mm-hmm. More of it. Like, more people need to do that. Because the people who are doing the judging, we need to point out when kindness is absent rather than be the person who just stands silently as anger, hostility, and hate are spewed. That's more often the case yeah. than people being kind. And, and it, people standing up to that. We need more of that. So I freaking love it. Also, if, if I see a person like... If the cashier was being mistreated by somebody in line, I'll kind of go out of my way to give them a really nice, warm smile. Like, totally. we'll both take a deep breath. How are you doing today? Yeah. Like, I'm not going to be like that person, okay? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And then we'll just move forward from there. I'm like, please look beyond the tattoos right now. Like, I'm not going to be a dick to you. Mm-hmm. So I, so I it's, it. it's just, I don't know. I, my, my, my counselor ended up saying something that really messed me up because I, I was telling him how being controlled in any kind of way to me, I, it makes me aggressive. Mm. But then I also said that I tend to reflect people's energy and the way they interact with me. So if you're polite with me, I'll be polite with you. But if you give me an attitude, I'm, I'm definitely going to give it right back to you. And then he's like, so why are you letting other people control your emotions? I'm like, God damn it. That's <laughs> got true. me there. Now I'm, like, now I'm like, okay. And then... It was, it, I was reading something about always being your true self regardless of who's around. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I don't know what that is now because yeah. I guess I've been reflecting energy for so long. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if we're mirroring other people's behavior, that's different than being authentic, right? Yeah. Yes. But being authentic means I'm guided by my value system and how I react is based on who I am and what I believe rather than the other person's mm-hmm. actions. It may be that I'm reacting to that person based on my values, but it's not that they're controlling my actions. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's, I remember when I was um, in therapy with Amy and something she said to me, because I'm like, I, I get caught off guard sometimes when people say something or do something mean, Mm -hmm. but then I get so irritated, angry about it later on. And she's like, you need, if someone's being an asshole, you need to call them an asshole. She's like, sometimes people Mm -hmm. don't recognize that that's what they're doing. They don't even realize how they're coming across. So if you never tell them. How, how are they ever supposed to change? How do they ever get better? Mm-hmm. So she's like, there is a time and a place. Like you need, kind of like you said, you need to call them out sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be this super confrontational and no. anger, but it's like, hey, you realize how rude you just were to me? Yeah, you need to recognize that and you need to change that mm-hmm. because it's not okay. Yeah, we can't go podcast without mentioning a Brene Brown-ism. We can't do it. So I'm not <laughs> going to. We're going to jump into it now. In Braving the Wilderness, which is her second to last book, which is freaking awesome, mm-hmm. one of the chapters, the entire chapter, is called Speak Truth to Bullshit. Oh, yep. Nice. Which nice. I love. And actually, the whole chapter goes into this idea of um, 
gun violence and how we as a society refuse to have adequate measures to control guns and how we just constantly put our hands in the air every time there's another school shooting. And she goes into it really deeply, very profoundly, and it's, it's a great chapter. But the whole premise is speak truth to bullshit because there's stuff out there that's promulgated that is said that is not true that we just kind of stand idly by and don't say anything about. She's mm. like, no, stand up. Yeah. You have values. You know who you are. Like, be a voice. And it sounds like you're getting that. Yeah. It's hard to figure out. It's hard for me. I'm still trying to figure out what that's like for me personally, but... I think there's. it feels empowering to kind of know that that's actually a principle that we can live by, and it helps us be better versions of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Because it's kind of like we were saying, you can still be a kind person and not cower yeah. to other people's mm. rudeness or whatever you want yeah. to call it, you know? Yeah, be kind and don't cower. Mm, that's good. It, it's put, like it that. Up, put it above your office door. Really <laughs> animalistic, too. I also think it's like a big play on energy, and mm-hmm. who you are and how you perceive other people's energy. I think some people just don't under, even understand that. How if you do come across somebody that is kind but not weak, mm-hmm. they can't read that. Yeah. Where other people can. Like I can tell like if this person really wanted to, they can flip the switch very quickly. But mm-hmm. they're choosing not to. I've known some very big per- people, very sweet. They, and they go out of their way to be a sweet person. But you also know that that dude can hurt somebody. He's a freaking correctional officer. (laughs) He's a big, big dude, but also the nicest person. All you have to do is be respectful, be kind, don't be meek. And um, he shows you the same thing right back. Yeah. It's not hard. (laughs) I think a lot of people see with their eyes instead of with their heart. And that makes a huge difference. Mm -hmm. Because there's, like you're talking about energy, which I'm, huge on like energy is like I, I try and like live open is how, what I say where my heart is the thing that's feeling what's going on around me to tell me what the truth is and I think if people can get out of their head and into their heart more and understand what that's like to live that way it's so much more gratifying satisfying and and you know it's it's a beautiful state right that you can live in any given time any given moment if you just ignore all of the social constructs we've been told and start actually listening to who you are in your heart. That's hard, though. It's hard because of all the programming and marketing that we have. It's hard for people to understand what real values are and what real priorities are when you have young girls looking up to people like Kim Kardashian when they're, they don't even question, like, why is she famous? Like, that's <laughs> something... Yeah, they don't know. Yeah. Exactly. My girls, like... Okay, so my... My girls love the Kardashians. Yeah. <laughs> they record them all. <clears throat> and I asked them one day. I didn't tell them what it was. Yeah. I think I told Hallie. I think she figured, I think she Googled it. That's the problem. Thank you. All the information is out there. But Which, again, they asked me, though. They said, I said, do you know why they're famous? And mm-hmm. she's like, well, I mean, their mom, their dad's Bruce Jenner. What? It's not why they're famous. Like, yeah, it's fun. It's funny you bring that up because I've actually thought that before. We've had this conversation with our kids before. So me being the uh, antagonist that I am, my the way I think is, I think the construct is that it's hard to think that way. Yes. But I think it's more natural than we give credit for. Mm-hmm. And it's easier to do than we realize. But because we're told that it's not easy to feel with your heart, that I should just think with my head that I should be smart or that I should 
You know, the things that we're told matter, like external things or yeah. gaudy things or success or achievement. If like we all know in our heads, like, yeah, that's what that's what everybody looks to. Right. But then who do you hang out with on the weekends? Who do you really feel loved by? Who do you connect to? Nine times out of ten, sometimes you'd be like, oh, my mom. Yep. Well, why? Well, because she makes me feel good. Oh, no shit. <laughs> it's more natural than we realize. And accepting it is the thing that's hard. Right. That's the thing that you nail on the head. Accepting it is hard. Mm-hmm. Because it seems too simplistic when in reality <laughs> right. it's very simple. Yeah. I just have to look at somebody and just like feel their energy. And you got good energy, dude. Thanks. <laughs> I met you. I totally. Right, like, do you have freaking wig? And like, the whole time, my heart's been like warm. It's awesome. <laughs> I love it right and and um, I think it, it's a skill for sure, and it takes practice, but it's totally doable for people. Yeah, you just gotta you just gotta do it. Just get out of your head into your heart. Well, and I think the more you're around people like that, the more um, it becomes natural. True. It's habitual. It's, yeah. Well, going back to the unknown, right? Like, it's an unknown. I don't know how to do this. It's scary, it's unfamiliar, but as soon as I make it familiar, it becomes easier to do. Prioritizing, to me, was it was uh, life-changing. Mm. To, well, when, when I first moved to Utah, like I was saying, I, we, did, we sold our house, we sold everything, and I felt responsible for everything. I felt it was my fault that we were struggling, so I worked as hard as I possibly could. My goals were I wanted to win awards. I wanted to get a, a, my own studio. And um, I did all that. I did all that within two years. And then it was still really hollow. Like it was, it didn't feel good. And I, I kept trying different avenues. Maybe I need a bigger studio. Maybe I need this. Maybe I need that. And now looking back on all that, like all I needed to do was be with the people who really want to be with me. And that's it. Simple. That's why I'm trying to cut back on so many things now to spend more time with the people that, like my buddies that text me that I don't answer for like three or four days who are constantly texting me to have lunch or something with them. I don't spend time with them because I was too busy trying to be cool with the cool people and get status. <laughs> mm-hmm. Who They don't care about me. They right. don't know anything about my kids right. or nothing. So that's it's making things simple again. Hanging out with the people that matter and giving your time to the people that matter. Not fighting with the people that who's just irrelevant to your existence. Be with the people who want to be with you. Yeah. That's, that's mm, all that's you good. need to do. That's I it. I love that. Yeah. Love I like that. that. I feel like that. I feel like I live by that. Totally. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's it's made me happier. Mm-hmm. And it's not yes. that... Not that I've... I mean, I've chosen my core, you know, people that I just... I'm happy, I'm me, I'm like, yeah, my energy's high, all those things. And it's not that I uh, completely avoid the rest of the world, but yeah, I'm going to prioritize a little bit because it's Mm -hmm. like my life is so busy. Everybody's life is busy. Mm -hmm. That is the reality. We are all busy. And so it's you have to prioritize. You have to decide on those people that, I don't want to say most important, but that do fulfill you, that do make your life better so that way you can keep going. You can keep moving on as a happy, healthy human being. And those people that are willing to give you their time and want to be with you, most likely those people align with your values. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And they help you live your values better. Like 
they're the ones that really stand up when stuff is down too. Yeah, they all pop up. The real people really pop up, and that's what opened my eyes again for like I don't know how many times I've had my eyes opened, and uh, I'm really grateful for them, and I'm, I'm I hope they know that too. That's cool. So I want to give a maybe not a shout out isn't the right word, but I loved. I love how open you are about the fact that you've been going to therapy because mm-hmm. for us, that's such a huge thing. We talk to people. Everybody. How, right? I don't know how many times I've said that. Everybody. Everybody. There is a time in your life you need there. I don't care who you are. Mm-hmm. Everybody has had to deal with something that we have not, we weren't innately born with or inherently born with how to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Right. So I love that you said that. I love that you brought that up and that you talked about how it's helping you deal with some of these, you know, PTSD and different anxiety and these stressful situations you've had to deal with, yeah. with going to war. I mean, that, like I said, you just the fact that you have to sleep in a bunker next to things that you think are going to get bombed, that's going to cause some serious anxiety for yeah. years and years to come. So I am super grateful you brought that up and that you were able to share that. And hopefully there's people out there that can hear this and say, okay, this, yeah. those night sweats that I have to wake up because I'm soaked. Yeah, th- that means something. Your There's body's something going telling on. you something, and uh, you need to start listening. Yeah, you, mental health is so important. And uh, going through all the counseling and finally accepting that um, my mind is a little bit off. I was diagnosed with bipolar, and. Um, so now I'm on medication for that, and I've been very steady on that. My wife has constantly told me like what a difference things is with me, and I'm able to control my temper a lot better and understand why sometimes I feel... I, I always tell my wife I'm sleepy, and she knows what it means. But before, whenever I would have like kind of a down slope in my emotion, mm-hmm. I would bite onto the first thing that would aggravate me, and I would obsess over it, whatever it was. Like that... It just got a full my full temper. And now that I don't have anything on to bite to, because there's nothing really wrong with my life. Like, my yeah. life is pretty damn good. But when I feel down now, I just get tired, and I just want to be in bed. And it usually passes in a few days. But now I don't lash out anymore at people, which is mm-hmm. good. And I'm able to understand that because of the counseling and, and studying myself more and trying to understand what I'm going through or why. Well, and thank heavens for modern medicine. Like there's so many of these things that we can get help with that, Mm -hmm. you know, years ago, that wasn't an option. Yeah. My kids call it my chill pills. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. Yeah. All, I mean that whole holistic approach to wellness, right? Mind, body, spirit, all of that stuff needs to be taken care of. Mm -hmm. We can do that in a million and one different ways. Oh, there's so many avenues now. There's so yeah. many things. There are so many opportunities available to us that were never available to our parents, to mm-hmm. our grandparents oh. going through any of this stuff. They just had to deal with it. That's why where that like tough it out, suck it up type of attitude came from. They, they didn't yeah, they right, didn't have right. anything else. Yeah. Where we I feel like are we're super blessed to have all these resources yeah. to help we us. We know now even compared to 10 years ago blows my mind like the research that's come out in the last 15 to 20 years especially the last 10 it's it's night and day we there's things we know now that we were totally wrong about 
10 years ago. Who knows where we're going to be five years from yeah. now. And so we've got to, like, the thing you started with that I freaking, it's my, it's my guiding North Star value is growth. Mm-hmm. And if I'm constantly trying to learn and grow and better myself and understand that, like, perfection isn't the thing I'm after. I don't want to be perfect, yeah. but I want to be better. I want to grow. That's it. Yeah, you can that. find, there's so many ways to do that. And we have so many resources available to us now to grow. If we can lean into that more and grow and understand that becoming a better version of ourselves each day is the goal. Yeah. How much gratitude are you going to experience? But I think too, with, I liked how you talked about how like there's no such thing as perfect. Cause I think sometimes we strive for that yeah. and then we're constantly disappointed. You're be disappointed. Yeah. You know, you where it's like, if, if you just wanted the next day, I'm going to do a little bit more. I'm yes. going to do something a little different. 100%. I'm going to change a little. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's not because I'm not good enough today. Mm-hmm. It's because I just want to continue to, yeah, to yeah. grow, to be and, better. And to, if I fail, guess what? It's better because when I fail, that's a growing opportunity. Oh, yeah. yeah. Failure, fa- all failure now has purpose. Oh, yeah. Failure is good. Failure is really good. Yeah. It, it's it hard. shows you how <laughs> not good. to do Which that one grow. thing and you yeah. learn something. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, let me adjust and adjust and adjust. Yeah. Well, my takeaway from knowing Will is for one, you are awesome. Like, <laughs> right? I, it, I feel like we're so, so we lucky this. to know you. <laughs> And Thank you so much. if you haven't noticed, we like all of our friends and we're like, you all need to go get a tattoo. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's so, it's been such an incredible experience for Kevin and I. Like oh, cool. to obviously to know you, but just even g- getting tattoos has been a very mm-hmm. weirdly ex- spiritual experience for, for both sure. of us. And it's been really cool. But I think my biggest thing that I want people to understand and to know is not to judge people by their outer appearance. Yeah. Because getting to know you and getting to know so many different people has taught me that how someone looks on the outside means absolutely nothing to what their personality is like. Mm-hmm. And so I, that's been really cool and I've, I've really appreciated it. Awesome. That's cool. What's your takeaway, my man? Wrapping it up. We're wrapping it up. Yeah. Whatever, um, whatever. And you want to send home one message what is it? To take care of yourself. To take care of yourself so you can take care of other people. And to just simply love. Like, there's so much hate going on, so much anger going on. To just love each other a little bit more. That's pretty much it. I love that. Beautifully simple. <laughs> My takeaway, be with the people who want to be with you. I'm taking that one yeah. to the grave, man. That's a good way of saying it. He's taking I, that one to the grave, and he's getting a skull and crossbones skull on his crossbones. body. <laughs> right there on my neck for Brindy. <laughs> you so love it. You're welcome. Thanks. Brindy Quackenbush. Oh, man. I'm going to get some angry emails after this. <laughs> she won't email, man. She'll come up here. No. Oh, she would drive up and be like, she's, oh, hell no. She's, <laughs> Latina. she's Latina, man. She doesn't mess around. You know That's how that works. Mm-hmm. Right on, bro. I'll, I'll put everybody on red alert. She's there, she's there. <laughs> well, thank yeah, you, man. thanks, Will. That was awesome. awesome. Super thank you guys time. for having me. I really appreciate, appreciate you, this. Episode 16, in all its glory, there you have it, my friends. I'm super stoked to announce that the Brighten a Christmas push is still going on. 
Yes, in the last hour that you've listened to the podcast, it has not changed. Go to brightonaday.org as soon as you can. Donate some money. Help out this foundation. We are trying to help as many families as possible, and we need your support as well. Please don't forget to uh, check out the Finding Strength Facebook page, Finding Strength Instagram page, uh, and leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. That helps us more than you realize as well. If you are in the Utah area and you need a therapist, I'm your guy. Let me know if you are interested in some individual therapy or group therapy or family therapy. I can oblige. As well, I'm going to be doing um, a cool event on December 12th at Vista Heights Middle School, which is in the Saratoga Springs area. I'm going to be on the expert panel talking about um, preventing suicide and the dangers of social media amongst youth. So if you're in the area and you want to attend that super great event, Colin Karchner will be there. He's kind of the headliner guy. He's a pretty cool dude trying to help out a lot of people. I'll be on there. Another therapist uh, who's a social worker at a school as well as the chief of police will be talking about suicide amongst youth. Excited to do that. As well, like I mentioned last week, I'll be in uh, Florida in February, and in March I'll be up in Washington doing all sorts of different public speaking gigs. So hopefully if you guys are in those areas, reach out and you can come see me do my thing. Thank you so much for your support, guys. We love you. Appreciate you. Hope your uh, holiday season's going well, and if you guys need support, just reach out. Take care. Love you guys.